0: Well, good morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you here today. If you're fairly new and like to fill out a Connect card, uh, there are those that you can do online, or there's some out at the hub in the foyer, there's some laying around uh, off and on here in the building, the sanctuary. And uh, as the church continues to grow here, there's always lots of things taking place, especially this time of year. I know a lot of people are traveling for graduation receptions, different things like that this past week. A lot of things still going on here at the church during the week, whether they be midweek Bible studies, small groups, uh, those things. I know on Wednesday night there's a classes that are still taking place for adults, and encourage you to be a part of those if you want to. Uh, I know again other things taking place throughout the week, and uh, men's Bible study, and and all the good things, um, prayer breakfast, all the great things taking place. There's there's still a lot in this world that uh, you know is is not what God had intended. And so just continue to lift each other up in prayer. Uh, there's spiritual warfare that takes place all around us. Uh, the men's prayer breakfast uh, face that uh, head-on on Saturday. And so just continue to, to lift up different individuals. Um, Someone outside of this church that we're praying for uh, that have connections with people inside this church uh, that are just battling with spiritual warfare and and those type of things. And so it's real and something that we want to continue to to be reminded of. And and on the flip side of that. There's victories in that spiritual warfare. I just want to quickly share uh, at the Youth for Christ, uh, some individuals within our congregation help out with Youth for Christ. And uh, they shared victories this last week that there were seven baptisms there at the Youth for Christ for Jesus. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause for that. Uh, And so... Uh, that's exciting. You know, the number seven in Scripture is the whole, perfect, complete number. And so that was exciting to hear. And, and uh, I don't know, Shiloh Esterline asked us to be praying for a, a young gal named Ava there at the Youth for Christ, uh, and she was one of the ones that uh, surrendered her life and was immersed into Christ as well this last week. So in the midst of the struggles and the battles, the spiritual warfare that's taking place in our world, there are spiritual victories that are happening as well. And so I just want to encourage us along those lines to continue, to be on the front end of the battle lines, you know, to be in the trenches, to be out there and to to live out the faith that we claim as Christians. And so I'd encourage you to keep uh, serving and, and growing and maturing and continuing to, to fight the battle daily and to put on the full armor of God and to allow this fruit through the Spirit to to well up within you. And so uh, I say all that before we get into our message. I just want to encourage us this morning that God is at work and He's alive and active and He's doing some amazing amazing things uh, continually in our world. We're in chapter 12 of Mark this morning uh, as we continue through uh, the book of Mark and the gospel according to Mark and, and we're going to make it through eventually as we're in chapter 12 starting in verse 18 through 27 this morning. And this reference that I want to share with you as we get going this morning is maybe for this generation. I don't know. Maybe it might. There's there are going to be some children in the next uh, service that have watched this movie as well. And uh, the only thing that I'm really wanting to make reference to this morning uh, is just the title of this movie. And maybe some of you have seen it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, Again, the, the movie itself has nothing to do with our sermon except for just the title. And the title is Seven. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Anybody seen that movie? Okay, all right. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And again, the only reference that I'm making is just the title. Because as you look at today's verses, the title of today's message is going to be One Bride for seven brothers you're like what what are we talking about here one bride for seven brothers we're going to get into it but this is a kind of a sad passage of scripture and if you've ever studied through this and thought about it and if you're in a marriage relationship it's a sad passage of scripture to think about from a human standpoint uh for my wife especially she does not like this passage of scripture because autumn loves being married to me all right and could you blame her right all right and uh, she loves being married to me and she just cannot Imagine not being married to me anytime in this life or the life to come. She just can't imagine me not being her spouse. And of course, of course, I feel the same way about Autumn this morning. But these verses kind of throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into this this concept of eternity and and marriage. And so hopefully today as we study through this passage that might be a little bit difficult, maybe at times for us to wrap our minds around as humans, that we really listen in, that we hear God's encouragement in everything that's going on in today's passage. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you so much for your word and the way it continues to, to shape us and mold us. To challenge us, convict us, Father, we want to be uh, just open to you this morning, that we want to be clay in your hands, that you would continue to mold us and make us into who you want us to be. God, as we read these verses, as we study through, may your Holy Spirit give us wisdom and direction. And it's not about what I have to say, God, about it, God but it's about what you have to say to us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. And so for many people that come to church, when it comes to like marriage and then intimacy of marriage and some of those kind of things that their ears really perk up and they're, they're, they're willing to listen. And maybe another topic uh, oftentimes preached about is you know the, the afterlife and heaven and some of those things. And that's something that interests people. Well, guess what? Today you're getting them both, all right? You're getting marriage and heaven. And so hopefully no one falls asleep this morning. And so if you want to turn over again into your bibles to mark chapter 12 let's set the context and so i just want us to remember that uh just uh, not too long ago, Palm Sunday has just taken place, and now we're into the last week of Jesus' life as we go through these last chapters of Mark. Is the last full week of Jesus' life, and Jesus is involved in a series of confrontations with the religious and political parties who are trying to take him out, and so at the beginning of chapter 12, we see Jesus and, and he tells this parable, and he really, you know, gives it to those who are there listening. He really makes the religious leaders upset because essentially he says throughout the parable that they and their forefathers have done everything they ca- can do to get rid of the prophets and that they're in the, in the process of trying to kill the father's son as well. And they want to arrest Jesus in those moments of those confrontations, but they realize that they can't do that because of the crowds and everything. So they kind of leave him be for a time and they, they regroup. And so last week we looked at uh, their plan and this plan was to, to send their best, you know, to send their best to try to trap Jesus in his words and so some of the Pharisees and then also some of the Herodians come together and we discussed last week how these two groups don't really get along but you know if they're going to come together if they can come together for any reasons to come together and try to get rid of this Jesus this common enemy and so after posing what they thought was an unanswerable question they were faced with some convicting questions from Christ himself. And again, in verse 17, we read uh, that as we, they end, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And so today we're going to look at another group that takes their best shot, And it's the Sadducees this time. Now, the Sadducees are the spiritual snobs of the country, and without a doubt, they thought they could silence Jesus and put an end to his popularity, all the while thinking that they themselves could kind of, you know, move up in the polls from a political standpoint, which they would fit in well in our culture today, wouldn't they? And, And they were highly educated and extremely influential and very wealthy, and were known as experts in the interpretation of Scripture. However, there are a couple things to keep in mind when you think about the Sadducees. And these are the two things. The first is, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Okay, the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the, the Bible, which are often referred to as the Torah. And they did not believe in the Resurrection or any sort of afterlife, or angels. Okay, so you have those two things. They, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, and they did not believe in the resurrection, the afterlife, or angels. And if you grew up going to camps, VBS, Sunday school, whatever, you may know the, the old song, I Don't Want to Be a Sadducee. Because the Sadducee is sad, you see? Well, the reason that they were sad, you see, is because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe any sort of afterlife. They had no hope for anything beyond this world. They consider themselves enlightened, but as we're going to see here in these verses, Jesus is about to enlighten them. And so follow along in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. I'm going to kind of do my best to narrate as we go through these verses. And so their setup, okay, their setup begins as they respectfully refer to Jesus as teacher. You see that in verse 19. Teacher, they said, and as, as they refer to him, they quote, From Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. And so you can go again. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would accept Deuteronomy. And so they quote from Deuteronomy 25, 5, the part of the Bible that they believe to have authority. And basically, they say there in verse 19 Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And then, as you continue to look in these verses, they describe a very hypothetical and even ludicrous situation, thinking that they had a question that Jesus could not answer and that that he would look foolish if he tried to answer it. And they imagined that there were seven brothers and and the first one married and died and and then the next one married the widow and and then they didn't have kids And, and then the same was for the third brother and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh brother. They all married this woman in succession and after the brothers before them each had died. None of them ending up with any children. It says, after the brothers died in these verses, then the woman dies too. And I'm thinking, man, if I'm one of those seven brothers, I'd be like running for the hills, right? (laughs) Like, My brother before and before, and I'm like brother number seven, I'd be running the other way as fast as I could. But they come up with this scenario that they think they got Jesus trapped here. And so here's their question as you look at these verses. At the resurrection whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And, and again, you've got to remember that these, these Sadducees, they didn't actually believe in the resurrection. But they are using it to try to trap Jesus, to trick him. And so again, the question at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And I kind of picture the Sadducees at this point, yeah, kind of strutting around thinking, oh man, we got Jesus. We we we're the ones that are gonna bring Jesus down. They're high-fiving each other, and they probably have rehearsed this question many times over and over. They think they got Jesus. And in their minds, they've created this, they've painted this problem, a theological riddle that is gonna be the one thing that was so absurd. That was unanswerable. And what does Jesus once again do? Instead of answering their question, Jesus answers their question with his own question. And I can kind of imagine their faces going from just smug smirks to kind of putting their heads down and hoping nobody in the crowd's really looking to see what's taking place here. And, and if you look at this question that Jesus poses here, It's an interesting question there in verse 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? And the word error means to wander astray. You were once on the right path, but you are now in error. You have wandered astray. And the way in which the question is asked expects kind of an affirmative answer. Like, you know the answer. The answer is, is affirmative because they didn't accept all the passages of Scripture and denied the power of God. They were in a bad place. They were in error. And Jesus then does some teaching in verse 25 by pointing out that resurrection life is far different and better than this life. And he says there in verse 25, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And with this one statement he completely punctures and blows this scheme up and shows that they don't really get it. That they don't really understand. And if you notice here, did you catch the word when? He doesn't say if the dead rise, but when they rise. Warren Wiersbe says about this passage, resurrection is... Is not the restoration of life as we know it. It is the entrance into a new life that is different. You see, eternal life is going to be so much beyond what we can even begin to, to comprehend and imagine. Heaven will be completely different, it'll be a completely different dimension than the life that we know here and now. And some of you are probably thinking, well, that's a, that's a good thing that there's going to be no giving in marriage and no marriage at all. Because, you know, when it comes to marriage on this earth, I'm having a hard enough time as it is. But to think about being married to someone for eternity, you know, like, okay, good thing there's no marriage in heaven. You know, that's just a joke, you guys. Okay, all right. All right. But in all seriousness... Man, eternity with God in heaven is going to be something so far beyond what we can even begin to imagine. And even though marriage can be so very wonderful here on this earth, there will be no need for marriage in heaven. One commentator put it like this, Here on earth, the Father dies. But he lives on in his children after death. In heaven, there is no death, but everyone will live and be blessed forever, which is why Luke adds in Luke chapter 20, verse 36, neither can they die anymore. And so the account of these verses that take place in Luke In verse 36 of chapter 20 is added that concept. Neither can they die anymore. And Augustine said, Marriages are on account of children. Children on account of succession. Succession on account of death. But in heaven, as there is no death, neither is there any marriage. And so I just want to say this. If you're married today, let me challenge you to make the most of the time that you have with your spouse right here, right now on this earth. Because as scripture teaches, that's not necessarily how it's going to be in heaven. And it's sad to think about not being married in heaven Especially, you know, if we just really enjoy our spouses and we enjoy that relationship. But again, heaven is going to be so much greater than even the best of what marriage on this earth has to offer. And we will certainly remember our spouses. I think that's clear in Scripture. There's this, this concept of knowing each other. But every la- relationship we have here will, com- will pale in comparison to the relationship we will have with Jesus. One commentator wrote, the resurrected life will transcend earthly relationships. We don't become angels, but like angels, we will obey completely and we will worship wholeheartedly. Like angels, we will enjoy an existence that transcends earthly limitations and we will never die. And then, as you look at these verses, Jesus clobbers them by asking another question in verse 26 with a quote from the very section of Scripture they live by. It's coming from Exodus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. And if you look in verse 26, it says, Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, which once again would require an affirmative yes, of course they have. That's what they choose to put their belief in. Have, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the, of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? If you think about that, the wording there, you think about since the patriots, patriarchs are still alive through their, their bodies, even though their bodies are in the ground, Jesus is referring to them as being alive. So there must be something like the resurrection. He's challenging them. He said, hey, you believe in this Old Testament, these Old Testament verses, but you don't believe that there's going to be a resurrection. But that's exactly what's taking place in this Exodus Passage. If you notice, this passage does not say, I was the God of, but it says, I am the God of. He is the God of the living because He is the living God. And, and I read of a preacher saying at funerals, and I thought this was pretty good this is the land of the dying, and when we die, We go to the land of the living. By teaching truth from a passage that they personally liked, Jesus proved his superiority over the Sadducees. And Jesus doesn't leave it there, though. Not only does he make the Sadducees squirm a little bit, but he declares clearly and loudly You are badly mistaken. Verse 27 says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Mine has an exclamation point at the end of that. That means that they were in extreme error and totally off track. And I think about preachers, and there's a tendency for us to kind of wrap everything up nicely in a bow and make it all sound wonderful at the end of the message so we all feel good about ourselves. But not Jesus. How does he end this sermon? He ends the sermon by saying, you are badly mistaken. End of story. You know? Walks away. Drop mic kind of thing, you know? And so he's, he's, it's interesting. That's how Jesus leaves it. He leaves it right there with that. And as, as we look at these verses again, I just want to close by coming back to this passage and the questions that are offered here. And I think they're questions that, that we need to be able to answer this morning as well. You know, these Sadducees were posed with two questions, and I want to pose two questions for us this morning. And, and I think we have to be able to answer these questions correctly, or we are at risk of being in error ourselves as well. And so the two questions are this, and they're quick. Do you know it? Do you know it? And what I mean by know it is God's word. Jesus asks this question, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures? Man, that's convicting. I just wonder, how well do you know the word of God? How much time do you spend studying the Word of God? You see, the Sadducees focused on social status more than the Scriptures, picking and choosing what they wanted from God's Word. And I think for a lot of them, they probably had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible, which would be amazing to be able to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They most likely had those memorized, but it hadn't impacted their lives. It hadn't changed who they were. They claimed to accept the authority of Moses, but then they completely missed what Moses taught on the fact that that life continues after death. And so do you know God's Word? Are you reading it every day? I would challenge us to make sure that we're doing whatever that we can to become students of the word of god and i would challenge you to plug into a sunday morning bible study class join a small group that takes place throughout the week attend one of our women's Bible studies or maybe men, join the Thursday night men's group or the first and third Saturday morning prayer breakfast. There's opportunities within this congregation. Maybe you know of opportunities outside of this congregation. Psalm 119.15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. And so the first question is, are you willing to know God's word? And the second is, do you show it? So do you know it? And do you show it? And Jesus wants to know, are you not in error because you do not know? And he says, then the power of God. And he can tell by, by their lifestyle. Has the information led to transformation? Because we get a lot of information, don't we? we? A lot of you are readers, the internet, there's so much information out there. You come Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Saturday mornings, Tuesday mornings for ladies, Wednesday afternoon for ladies. I mean, you spend a lot of time soaking in at like a sponge and you get a lot of information. But does that information create transformation in your life? Do you know the passage and the power Do you show it? Does Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power in your life, is it shown in your actions? The Sadducees denied the reality of the afterlife and thus the power of the resurrection because it just defied logic in their minds. And so they denied that power. And at some point, we must move from just learning the Bible to living the Bible. Did you catch that? At some point, we must move from just learning the Bible to actually living the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, describes a group of people who know it, but they don't show it. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. The Bible has a lot to say about God's power. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. See, the power of the resurrection It makes all the difference, not only in this life, but for the life to come. And and it's for those who are willing to personally make Jesus the Lord of their life, to, to die to their old selves in order to live a new life in Christ. That's where that concept of being born again comes from. That's the concept of baptism, of dying to your old self and to be raised in newness of life, a new creation. A babe in Christ, no longer living for yourself, but living for Jesus. The word know, K-N-O-W, in the Bible, has more to do with experience than with intellect. To know something is to actually then to live it out, not just to have the intellect. What we've been talking about this morning ties right into our mission statement. Because our mission as a church is to lovingly seek, reconcile, restore, and equip disciples so that they can go out and impact their world through ministry. And we're seeing that here at PV. That's just not just a high pie-in-the-sky kind of concept. You as the church are doing that outside of these walls. And that's why we set goals like 22 baptisms in 2022 just to keep our minds focused on the reality that church is not about this, just this. It's about being the church in the world and making a difference and being equipped so that we can go out and be disciples to make other disciples. And after knowing, we personally should be growing and then showing the power of God to others in order in other words we have to put it into practice and i think it really begins with our time spent in god's word really meditating on scripture we as a church have encouraged in the past to, to on your apps, if it works well for you, to, to have a version Bible app. You can go on there. You can be friends with each other on the app. You can do d- devotionals with each other, uh, making comments and encouragement to each other. You can do that through that app. Uh, you can get together with people in person, face-to-face, and have those conversations. Uh, that is taking place in this body. There are discipleship groups that are meeting weekly and, and just spending time reading Scripture and praying for one another, I would encourage you to do that. Really spend time reading through God's word, and I just want to share a few insights as we get close to the end here from Pastor Bob Bauer when it comes to reading the Bible meditatively. He had he had a uh, one, two, three, four R words uh, when it comes to reading. The first one is reading. Read a passage slowly with reverence and in an attitude of expectancy. Savor each word, whether it's comforting or convicting. And so really be intentional when you read Scripture. Expecting to hear from God. Savoring each word, whether it's comforting or convicting. The second R is reflecting. Enter into the text by meditating on its meaning on its meaning, really thinking about what is it saying? What is it saying to me? What is it saying to the people that it was written to? Really reflecting on what the verses are saying. And then the third R, responding. Pray the passage back to God, using the text as the framework. Think about how am I supposed to respond to these verses God, help me in these areas. I want to respond in a way that's, that's biblical, that's it's given to me and guided to me through your Holy Spirit, but responding to the verses that you're reading. And then the last R is resting. Take some time to think and ponder the implications of this passage for your own life. Just rest. Take a breath. Just meditate and hear what God has to say to you and I just think about this in my own life. I've, I've been talking with Seth Amory, Some of you know him. He's out in the Indianapolis area. And we talk on the phone each uh, every other week or so, and we're reading together through a, a passage of Scripture. Uh, and as we t- read through it, we're meditating on it. We're t- discussing it. Uh, and I just think about the, the idea of reading and meditating and discussing. And, and some people do a very good job of journaling. I'm not very good at that, but it, I've read lots of people that say, if you journal through Scripture, man, it makes a huge impact. You can go back and read, re- reread something that you wrote from a, a, some verses. And so I just encourage us to really make the most of spending time in God's Word. Because when we can know Scripture, then we can also show Scripture. As we look at Mark 12 today, I just want to challenge all of us to be able to answer Jesus' questions from these verses with an affirmative, yes, I do know your word. And yes, I am allowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus to be shown in my life. And that would, that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. The day that you can begin to say that you know the scriptures and that you know the power of God because it's shown in the way that you live your life, man, what a glorious day And I pray that that is already taking place in your life. But if it's not, today is the day to start. Let me close with 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. See, God wants us to know His Word and to show the truth, and the power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus, and, and again, I was just listening online to Air One, and I think it was maybe, I don't know who it was, but someone on there just said, you know, as you share your story, your job is not to convict someone's heart, You're not, your job is not to argue with someone on scripture, your job is to share the story of what Jesus has done in your life, and when you do that, It makes all the difference in the world. And these Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. And maybe some of you are struggling with that today. You're thinking, I don't really know if that that idea is just kind of way too far out there for me. I'd love to study through Scripture with you on that. And maybe you've never really experienced the power of the Holy Spirit because you've never surrendered your life over to Jesus. You've never made that commitment to Him that said, God, I'm all in, and I believe in the resurrection of the the power that comes from the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And He came back from the grave, and and I have a hope for eternity. Man, we'd love to talk with you, to allow for you to surrender your life over to him through baptism. If today's that day, I'd encourage you to come. We're going to sing a song of invitation as Deanna and and Tommy come. and, And if you just need someone to talk to, to pray with, We'd invite you to come as we sing our song of invitation. Will you stand with us this morning?